The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by the Libra icon. What's going on, Dwayne? Not much. Uh, great weekend of basketball, and, and now we're getting to the playoffs. Let's get at it. All right, man. Just a reminder, you're listening to Know the Score. Know the Score can be found on CSPN.us. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitch Radio, and Google Play. You can follow the show's Twitter account at KTS Pod. You can follow Dwayne at The Libra Icon. And you can follow my Twitter account at Don DeLorente. So, Dwayne, we had the Final Fours this weekend. We had the men's and the women's Final Four. So, we're going to give a little love to the ladies to start out. As we had the first matchup featured Mississippi State blessing its muscle against Louisville in overtime to win 73 to 63. Tierra McCowan had 21 points and 25 rebounds. Yeah, that was a a really good effort in a game that was basically Mississippi State went on like a 13 to 3 run in overtime to to pull away. But it was a really close game, nip and tuck the whole way. Really highlight. And then in the featured game of the Final Four for the women, Notre Dame shocks UConn on a jumper with one second left by, give me some help here, Dwayne. Arike Ogumbawale. Arike Ogumbawale to advance to the national championship game 91 to 89. Uh, second year in a row that UConn gets stunned at the Final Four. Uh, last year they had the perfect record. They had the you know over a hundred game winning streak. One eleven. Yeah, at this particular level, and this year they were the odds on favorite to win again. But Notre Dame had other plans, and so advancing to the championship game, we had Mississippi State and Notre Dame on the women's side. Any thoughts about that? That Notre Dame UConn thriller. Well, it was a very close game. I know Gino. Ariana, he did say out of the four teams that were in the Final Four or the three opponents in the Final Four, the team he did not want to see was Notre Dame because uh, Notre Dame and UConn have that familiarity. They used to play at least four times a year in most cases. I mean, you had the two Big East meetings. You had the Big East tournament final most likely, and they would always meet in tournaments. So um, familiarity breeds contempt, and... And so, you know, when Notre Dame had a shot at UConn, they they put their best shot in. Uh, Marika Ogubawale, she had a monster game, and and the confidence she had in that jumper, uh, she even said it. Bomba mentality, she channeled her inner Kobe, and took out the mighty Huskies. And I think that's the thing with uh, UConn; they've blown people out so many times that, you know, these elite teams that they do get to see in the national semifinals, they're always trying to elevate their game to UConn's level. And when UConn has a tight game, they don't really know how to react because they've blown people out so many times. Like, they, this was a team that put up 140 in the first round. So it's really hard for uh, them to adjust, I mean, from an 88-point victory in the first round to having to go to overtime and... They don't. They need those close games a lot more. But it just shows that other teams are finally trying to 
catch up to them. Right, right. So we're going to shift over to the men's Final Four. And in the first game, Michigan, they advanced to the national championship game by using another strong defensive effort in the second half to end the Cinderella story of Loyola Chicago, 69-57. to uh, second half of just lockdown defense from about the about say about the eleven minute mark to about the six or five minute mark there in the second half. Uh, Loyola Chicago was stuck on forty nine, and Michigan found their groove. They started hitting a little, some outside shots, getting some drives to the basket. Wagner started you know flexing his muscle a little bit, and Michigan pulled away on the strength of their defense, just like they did against Florida State. Uh, Lola Chicago, they just weren't, you know, making any shots. They were trying to work through their big men, uh, but their big man got in foul trouble uh, there in the middle of the second half, and so that kind of, you know, disrupted their offense a little bit. Uh, your takes on what you saw from, uh, you know, what Michigan did in that second half to uh, take a deficit and turn it into a, a 12-point win. Well, you pretty summed it up with the defense in the second half. It uh, looked like Loyola Chicago was going to get on to another great start, and, and – uh, they were looking pretty good, and then uh, Wagner and the defense of Michigan, they really came through, and they put on a great showing, and now they have the victory and the birth of the Final Four, but you can't take away anything from Loyola Chicago despite the clock striking midnight and the carriage turning back into a pumpkin and um, the... The slipper was left behind, and, you know, it just shows that the 11th seed still has a lot of work to do when it gets to the national semifinals. They're now all four in the national semis, um, but it was a great run. I enjoyed it, and good heads off to Michigan for their defensive display. Right. And then we move to the second game where we had Villanova. Dismantle Kansas 95 to 79 to advance to their second national title game in three years. Villanova set a record in this game with 18 made threes. I was at work, I had this game up on the screen, so I'm out, you know, looking at the hockey game out in front of me, and then I turn around. And there's probably we haven't even got to like the first TV timeout. Maybe we were coming up on it, and it's sixteen to four. And I'm like, oh my goodness! And then they flashed a stat that um, you know they're like you know four for four for three point land, and like two for three from the field. And it's like, oh my goodness, what am I about to watch? And it turned out to be eighteen three pointers. Oh my goodness, this was a shooting display that we've never seen in the tournament before because usually in the final four when they get to these bigger venues the shooting angles you know and the backdrops make it where the shooting is just awful especially from three-point land uh this was not the case for villanova so Dwayne, i know you'll have much more to say because your beloved jayhawks were in this game i know you were very excited about the possibilities of what could be but i just talk about uh you know what went wrong for your guys when they went up against villanova on saturday night well, for the record, anybody that would have went up against Villanova that night or in the tournament would have just had no chance. I mean, they it was a, once Villanova spread Kansas out and we're hitting the threes, they just could not miss. And it's not even the fact that the Jayhawks had a bad game plan. They were scoring, but they were scoring two pointers and getting in the paint and, and uh, using their big men and using their dribble drives 
they weren't shooting the three as much. I mean, at one point, Kansas had no three-point attempts. Villanova had about 15. And trading two-point baskets for three-point long shots is not going to cut it. So it was a rough, rough day. But at the end of the day, you know, there was a perfect storm for Villanova. And Kansas was just on the wrong side of it, you know. A better team won them this day. I mean, you thought the three-point shooting would cool off in the second half, but, I mean, they took less shots, but, you know, the shots that they did take continued to drop, which led to 18 three-pointers, and, you know, Kansas did what they could, try to get back in the game, but it was just too much, the machine. That is, the it was just too much, so... Hats off to them. Hats off to the Jayhawks. This was a team that was supposed to have been knocked out in the first round by 16. We did get that. It wasn't them. This was a team that wasn't supposed to win the Big 12, but they did. A team that wasn't supposed to win the Big 12 tournament, but they did. And they weren't supposed to get to the Final Four. Everybody had Duke go to the Final Four, and they beat Duke. So um, this was a great season. You know, they got over that Elite Eight hump, and I can be more proud, so... Um, hats off to Villanova, better team one, and that's that. All right. So we turn our attention to the women's national title game. And Notre Dame wins the national championship on a buzzer beater 61-58 for their second title in program history. And give me the name one more time, Dwayne. Arike Ogumbawale. Prove lightning can strike twice. As she nails a three-pointer at the buzzer to win it. She's named the most outstanding player of the Final Four. And uh, Notre Dame brings it home for the ACC. And this will definitely be a tournament that everybody will remember Ogumbawale for, you know, her last-second shot-making, you know, under pressure in the clutch. Uh, She produced a diamond twice. Indeed. And not only that, uh, if you look at the – the whole weekend of the women's final four was very, very entertaining. More entertaining than the men's final four. I can mm-hmm. definitely say that. Um, and, you know, these women went out and proved themselves, especially against uh, one of the the um, best teams in the land. I mean, the team to beat. I mean, we always joke how it's the UConn Invitational where 63 teams fight for the right to lose to UConn. But the last two years, you know, UConn's been out in the national semis, and I thought Mississippi State, they were in control most of the game. They held Notre Dame to three points in the second quarter. They they got the lead out to 15, and, and even at um, the 154 mark in the game, they were up by five, and they had a 95% chance of winning this game. Mississippi State did, but the fact that um, uh, Magumbo Ali and company, they did not quit. Jessica Shepard had 19 to lead the way as well and the main thing I thought was in this game where Notre Dame had a chance to um, well Mississippi State had a chance to foul because they had a foul to give and instead of getting that foul to give they let the shot go off and then if you look at the replays and you look at the defense you couldn't play that shot any you couldn't play any better defense the hand was in the face uh, the Guarded closely, it was off balance, and the shot was just beautiful. So, hats off to Notre Dame first championship since 2001, and like you said, brings it home for the ACC. 
Yeah. So congratulations to Notre Dame women's basketball as they are the 2018 national champions. Then we shift over to the men's game and Villanova continued their hot shooting as they de- defeated Michigan 79 to 62. Villanova got 31 points off the bench from Dante Vicenzio and they win their second title in three years. Villanova became the first team to lead the NCAA in scoring to win the title since North Carolina in 2005. Villanova was also the first team since the 2009 UNC squad to win every game in the tournament by double digits. So they set a record for threes made uh, at a Final Four. Uh, Like I said, second title in three years. And Jay Wright, he's the king. Uh, you know, the only guy to probably be as uh, prolific as him in the tournament in the last few years has been Roy Williams. And, uh, you know, Jay White beat Roy Williams a couple of years ago to get the title on the last second shot by Chris Dunn. And then, you know, they got ousted by NC State uh, last year, but then they came back this year and uh, they flexed and got it gun again. So, um, you know, shout out to Villanova and Jay Wright. Um, he's really turning the Big East. They're not a power five conference, but they've got two of the last three national championships. So, you know, he's he's got something rocking over there. So just talk about Villanova, you know, crowning themselves the Kings. Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, uh, everything, the Big East well, won again. Um, keep in mind, this is a team that didn't even win the Big East regular season title. That went to Xavier. And and the, you know, they cruised through the Big East tournament, uh, cruised through the NCAA tournament, um, three-point shooting was their key. Uh, DiVincenzo was a lightning rod in this game, and... And, you know, getting the most outstanding player for a guy that came off the bench. And, um, you know, Jalen Brunson, uh, so while he was National Player of the Year, uh, there, there were a couple push-offs he got away with. But when you win awards, you get that you get that star treatment. So, uh, But aside from that, it was a real good victory for Villanova. Philadelphia wins again. And, and um it's just it's really it's really interesting now. A lot of people don't call um, uh, Villanova Philadelphia, but with the way they, the, I mean, they play in the Wells Fargo Center. They part of the Philadelphia Big Five uh, in the City Six, and they are the kings of Philadelphia, kings of uh, college basketball. I mean, sixty-seven teams are going to lose in this tournament, and only one will stand tall. That was the Wildcats. Yeah, you have to give Jay Wright a lot of credit. I mean, he's been embracing the small ball for probably about maybe seven, eight years now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back to like when he had Kyle Lowry as point guard and they were running that kind of three guard offense back then. He's been one of the, you know, first college coaches to kind of go with this more three point uh, heavy uh, type of offense and kind of having, you know, your. Uh, stretch fours and and big men who can you know open up the lane and kind of leave the lane open and uh, that's the very reason that they defeated North Carolina is Roy Williams was late to kind of go to a smaller lineup because Roy Williams is a traditional old school coach he likes to have those two big guys in there but with the way Villanova was playing leaving the lane open you know their power forwards were able to drive and work our bigger men once they got them into the paint because they drove them from 15 19 feet out you know make them move their feet and then once they got them into the paint they were you know they really couldn't do anything because they're not used to defending so far out so that's kind of the the strategy that he's used the last couple of years and you know it's produced two national titles um 
and you know he's got like one of the highest winning percentages here lately in the tournament so you know you just have to give him his credit he's definitely one of the top you know five coaches in college basketball right now absolutely you know he's but you know coach k not having the tournament success with these one and done kids he may actually be you know creeping up a little bit higher than that you know because you know cal and coach k have kind of you know had kind of mixed bag with these you know ultra you know recruiting classes as vegas has duke favored again based off their you know incoming class yeah but um you know coach k really hasn't had a lot of success uh, in the tournament lately so uh, we'll kind of see how that plays out um north carolina not being you know rumored to get on probation now is is gonna allow roy williams to elevate the type of kids that he's recruiting so you know i look for them to be more of a major player in the next couple of years in recruiting as you know uh incoming uh, freshman i see a little was the mvp of the recently played mcdonald's all-star game so you know that just tells you the type of level that you know north carolina is getting back to recruiting so you know and then and also if you had kansas too i mean you got the watson brothers Kansas is even doing they're not doing the one and done they're going to transfer route because they got the Washington brothers coming in from Memphis they got a few good players coming in um Evan Dotson Quentin Grimes um and then you also got to wonder if um um Malik Newman if he's gonna go pro or not because he had a great postseason um and we just have to wait and see but I think my top three at the moment right now are Duke Villanova and Kansas and I wish we were playing Duke um, next year in the Champions Classic, but it's going to be Kansas and Michigan State. Uh, And then also uh, Kansas and Villanova are going to be playing in a home-and-home series starting next season. So that should be fun. Yeah, yeah, that'd definitely be uh, something to look forward to. Again, an early college basketball season is a lot of fun because you get these marquee matchups where the big dogs will face each other because it's early enough in the season where they can recover and, you know, make sure things, you know, look right at the end of the season. And plus it helps your resume now because, uh, you know, like I think next year the ACC is going to go to their uh, round robin where everybody's going to play each other home and home. No more of this, you know, Virginia plays Carolina one year at Carolina and plays them next year at Virginia. They're going to go, you know, back to the round robin schedule. So these marquee matchups are definitely going to start getting limited because, you know, the coaches don't want to suffer too many losses. Because now, you know, where you would, you know, normally just play Wake Forest at home this year, and now you got to worry about going to play them at their place, and they're a little bit tougher there. So, you know, things like that tend to, you know, get in coaches' heads, and they don't want to schedule the games against the Kentuckys, the Michigans, or the Dukes, or the, you know, out-of-conference games that they know are 50-50. Right. And um, and my whole thing is uh, I think it's good for the ACC to kind of get out of that round robin system or I me mean, but so many teams you also want to no they're going if, back to it no they've been out of it for since they had the expansion but next year they're going back to it so everybody gets yeah. a a double double because you know for the last couple of years it's kind of like you know virginia would come to carolina and then carolina would go to virginia the next year where you know it wasn't the you know well we're gonna know we're gonna if we lose to you in january we know we're gonna see you again next month at our place but they're going back to that I wonder how that's going to work, though, because there's so many teams. Yeah, they're going to cut down the, um, you know, the, the the number of games that they're going to play on the, you know, they're going to still have the number of games. But what's going to happen is instead of playing, you know, usually Carolina will play a Michigan or they'll play, a, you know, outside of the big 10 ACC challenge, the things that they're locked into that they can't get out of. They're just going to play yeah. the, you know, Woffords and the Charlestons and the, you know, lesser schools 
to make sure that they get to their 22, 23, 24 wins. That's a lot of conference games. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun cuz that's what always made the ACC so fun was because when they had the nine teams originally, you know, everybody could play each other comfortably and still you could, you know, play in your tournaments and have your outside marquee games and it fit within the schedule good. But yeah, yeah. now that they've added like nine more teams, <laughs> we'll see how how things work out but yeah just a fun year in college basketball of course you know everybody lives for the one shining moment at the end of the tournament to culminate you know all of the happenings and relive all the buzzer beaters and the and you know the the the, the you know goodwill moments and the heartfelt moments so congrats to villanova and like i said before congrats to notre dame as they are the champions of college basketball this is know the score I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. And we're going to shift into a little bit of that MLB, Major League Baseball, as we had opening day this past Thursday. Uh, What I loved about this year's MLB opening day was it was a true opening day. All 30 teams started on the same day. There was none of this, you know, Sunday night game and then wait four days for the, you know, real season to start up with everybody else plays. No, everybody was out on the field on Thursday. So, you know, we had day games all over the country. Uh, That's truly the best way to take in a baseball game. And the newest, the biggest face and the newest face in the biggest place was Giancarlo Stanton. And he did not disappoint as he hit two home runs up in Toronto in his first game as a New York Yankee. The first New York Yankee to have two home runs in his debut since Roger Maris in 1960. So, Dwayne, Giancarlo <laughs> Stanton, producer, man, right off the gate, uh, you know, People are expecting big things between him and Aaron Judge hitting back to back. Um, you know, they you know, they have a real chance to threaten the uh, record for most home runs between teammates, which I think is like 111 set by yeah. Mantle and Maris. I think so. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, they've got a really good chance to do it. Yeah, um, it's really good for the Yankees. I think this is kind of, as you can just tell, I'm so. Th- thrilled talking about the Yankees, but um, yeah, it's a, it's going to be a very good season. Uh, I mean, you got mur- they literally have Murderer's Row Part 2 again. I mean, with with um, Stanton, Judge, and Sanchez, and if they can just be get the bullpen and everything straight, they will be probably one of the dominant forces in the in the American League once again. So we shall see how that goes as we go through this long stretch of baseball. It's funny, man. Just think, like, three years ago, everybody was retiring. A-Rod was trying to get his money, you know, hanging on, you know, quote-unquote, holding guys back. Then they went into the – they finally got rid of A-Rod, got him out of the way. Then they decided, okay, we're just going to, you know, go young and and, and bring our guys up out of our farm system. And then one playoff and one offseason, and bam, they're right back to where they've always been. In the mix, favorite to win it all. People thought that maybe it was going to be like a three- or four-year, you know, regrouping stage for the Yankees. Nope. I was one of those hoping it would have been, but (laughs) it's not. So we're going <laughs> to shift over and talk about the defending 
World Series champions, the Houston Astros. Shout out to in the bleachers, Mr. Michael Felder, his favorite baseball team. As they're looking to repeat and they're off to a strong start. There's no World Series hangover for these guys. Uh, you know, I, they swept Texas right off the break. They had great pitch and they won uh, last night. Charlie Morton with, with a great pitching effort. So, you know, Houston looking as strong as they, uh, you know, were at the end of last season. And in the opposite end of the things, you know, the Dodgers are struggling here a little bit. They uh, they haven't really scored a lot of runs. They got shut out twice by the San Francisco Giants. So just talk about, you know. Even your Giants. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Talk about the, uh, you know, the, the, the two starts that the two World Series teams have gotten off to this year where, you know, Houston's, you know, just like they're still in World Series mode and, and the Dodgers are suffering a little bit of a hangover. Well, I mean, it was World Series mode because they still have the core guys for this uh, Astros team and the core is going to be together for a long time and the Astros are going to be a major player for a long time. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that they are off to such a great start. Um, the Dodgers, I mean, they're, if this was an odd year, then the Dodgers will be off to a better start. But this is an even year and we know that Ever since 2010, the San Francisco Giants have been major players in every even year. So it's the even year Giants, and, you know, they just have been playing very well. And the Dodgers, I mean, they lost a lot of personnel. They still have a pretty good lineup, and and I'm way too early. Let's not overreact. They'll be fine. Yeah, uh, Justin Turner uh, starting the year on the DL is really, you know, a big blow to their lineup. You know, he's really the the guy who, you know, drives in all the runs and, and the real energy. And, then, you know, that causes Puig to have to kind of move up into a spot that he's really not suited for yet because he doesn't have quite the discipline that Turner has to hit in that four spot. So, you know, right now they're, you know, suffering from a little you know, some injuries and things. And it was just, you know, real weird to see Clayton Kershaw pit so well, but, you know, they couldn't score for him the other day and the Dodgers won, uh, Dodgers lost one to nothing to the Giants. So we'll also stick in LA and we'll talk about the Angels as Sho Otani, AKA the Japanese Babe Ruth. He won his MLB pitching debut. He gave up three hits with six strikeouts over six innings. Otani also went one for five on opening day as a hitter. So this kid is like 24 years old. He's like the two or three time Japanese league MVP. He's like the Cy Young award winner in that league and like one of the best hitters and home run hitters also in his time there. So that's why he was dubbed the Japanese Babe Ruth. And what the Angels plan to do is they plan to DH him as many times as they can leading up to a start where he pitches. So for the first time, and probably like at least to get 30 years, there's going to be a true two-way player in the MLB. And, you know, he's he's young. He's 24. So, you know, he's definitely going to be able to do this for at least a season or two. And before the Angels will probably make him buckle down and figure out which one he really wants to do. But uh, are you intrigued to just kind of see what Shoatani can do playing basically a whole season as a pitcher and a full-time hitter? Absolutely. Um, you know, he was a... Uh much better pitcher than he was a hitter. Um, I was looking more of his um, pitching, and he's really, you know, he struggled in spring training, but um, it showed when it was actually when it counts. He had a, his splitter was working, his fastball was on point, and, you know, he gave up a home run, but, you know, um, six strikeouts over six innings is impressive. 
Angels got the win, and I think uh, the hits will come eventually. So just need to see more of uh, Otani, and it's going to be very interesting um, to see how things move forward for this kid in the Halos. Yeah, the Angels have had some, you know, subpar starting pitching here the past couple of years has really kind of been and there. That's putting it lightly. Yeah, that's kind of that's been <laughs> that's been what's kind of been holding them back from being, you know, more of a contender. Um, you know, with you know, probably the best all around player in the game still with Mike Trout. Um Albert Pujols, you know, has gotten over his uh foot issues, his his plantar fasciitis issues, and you know, he's you know playing as well as he can to be 40 years old you know compared to a few seasons ago where it looked like he had he was definitely done so you know the angels are looking to maybe you know sneak into a wild card as we all think houston will you know if they keep it up injuries don't slow them down you know will you know win the division again but the angels definitely could be a player for a wild card berth and actually play in the wild card game uh this season if you know health and, and they're starting pitching young pitching rounds in the form Agreed. At this time, I want to let you guys know that Know the Score this week is being sponsored by the good folks at Amazon.com. Mother's Day is quickly arising. Guys, please don't get caught out there at the last minute. Support your favorite podcast and get something for your mom and your grandma, auntie, anybody who's that special to you for Mother's Day by going through www.cspn.us. Take on the menu tab. Scroll down to support the podcast. Click on that, then click on Amazon. Do your shopping, your Mother's Day shopping like you normally would, and some of your purchase comes back to the CSPN so we can help keep all the podcasts free on the network each and every week. So, fellas, get on the ball. Do it early. Don't wait to the last minute. CSPN.us and Amazon.com. Do it today. Dwayne, we're going to wrap up this week's episode with a little bit of NBA talk. The Basketball Hall of Fame announced its newest class. And highlighting this year's class will be Grant Hill, Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, and Ray Allen. So give me some thoughts on each one of those guys. And, you know, they're all worthy of the Hall of Fame for sure. And, you know, kind of Steve Nash, Grant Hill, and Jason Kidd going in together is kind of cool for me. And I'll elaborate on that uh, after you, you know, relive your memories of these guys. Yeah, well, it's like when you grow up and you watch these guys as a kid, and you know you're you know it's now like it's uh you know when you see people you grew up watching getting into the Hall of Fame, you know that everything is changing. And Grant Hill, I mean, the things he did in college was amazing, and the uh, things he was able to do before his injuries were amazing i think had he not got injured there might be more of a more accolades for him and but the way he was able to reinvent his game after his injuries you know to have a long career to make a hall of fame worthy even more is awesome and jason kidd i mean he was mr triple double before russell westbrook and and uh, LeBron James, before triple-doubles became so easy to come by, he was the guy that was good at those triple-doubles. Um, and Steve Nash, I mean, he started his legend at Santa Clara uh, with the 15th seed over the two. Um, and then Ray Allen, of course, one of the best sharpshooters in the game, a winner everywhere he's 
been pretty much um on you know I put the Celtics the big three before the fallout the going to the heat uh, winning a title there so all these guys very very worthy and very very uh, great to see guys that I grew up with even more be in the Hall of Fame right Jason Kidd Grant Hill and Steve Nash are all linked to together for me because I really got introduced to Jason Kidd and Steve Nash in the 1993 NCAA tournament in the West Regional where Duke was at, where Santa Clara upset the two seed and then Jason Kidd beat and Cal beat Grant Hill all in that same, you know, regional right there. And that was my introduction to those two guys on the West Coast. Of course, I knew who Grant Hill was as a Carolina fan, the only true Duke player that I think we would say in our hearts that we really have respect for, you know, and and really, you know, wanted him to be a good pro because, you know, he wasn't like all the rest of the Duke players at that time, the Leitners and the Hurleys and, you know, just the butthole Duke players that they had coming through at that time. Um, right so you know that was you know <laughs> quietly among carolina fans we you know we all have respect for grant hill uh jason kidd like you said um as a guy who was known as the consummate you know pass first sets you up point guard um uh, you know the joke was ace and kid when he first came into dallas and his first probably uh five seven years in the league but then you know once he got to new jersey and eddie jordan brought in the Princeton system and, you know, he really started getting a jumper set shot and, you know, he ended out his career as like one of the leaders in three point shots made. So, you know, just a credit to him always, you know, redefining his game and, and, and elevating himself. Uh, Steve Nash, uh, safe basketball in the NBA, uh, him and Mike D'Antoni basically created the lovely game that we have today because if you grew up in the uh, you know late 90s and watched the New York Knicks and the Heat play playoff games and score 74 points against each other, uh, you would be clawing your eyes out and saying that this is unwatchable basketball. What in the world happened to my lovely NBA? And Steve Nash and D'Antoni brought that back with Phoenix, uh, getting the games up to over 100 points and you know free-flowing three-pointers and you know basically the Warriors and the Rockets and all of these teams that are out here high flying and run up and down the court they owe a lot to Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni and then uh, Ray Allen of course Jesus Jesus Ellsworth what more can you say um Seattle Supersonics were one of my, you know, fringe teams that I liked growing up and, and he brought them back to prominence before they unfortunately had to move. And then uh, you know, he went to the Bucks and, you know, still him and George Carl got there and they, you know, kinda rekindled what they had going on in Seattle before that got shut down. And then, you know, he moved on to the Celtics, of course, and they made history there. Then he went on, like you said, to the Heat. And uh if it wasn't for uh, you know, Ray Allen, LeBron would probably be like one in seven in the in the finals because he basically saved them on that uh, three point shot there. To- he sure he sure did because everybody <laughs> in Miami was trying to get back up into the American Airlines arena. Right, right, right. So you know, I got to see uh, the pregame ritual of Ray Allen once. I was fortunate enough to watch this, and uh, yes, he he has to make. A hundred three pointers. He basically plays like around the world with two guys rebounding for him until he makes a hundred, and then he stops. And it doesn't really take him that long. So <laughs> it's it's one of the most surprising things you'll ever see in person, just to see the consistency of somebody's jump shot over and over and over from different 
places on the floor. So much deserved uh, to these four gentlemen. And like you said, you know, we grew up with them, you know, their whole careers from college through their NBA runs. And, you know, Jason Kidd's a coach now and Steve Nash is a special assistant for uh, the Golden State Warriors. And and Grant Hill is doing, you know, NBA TV and college basketball. And, uh, you know, Ray Allen's still, you know, out here just recently retired, but, you know, was still trying to play if somebody wanted to pick him up. So, you know, it's just amazing to see, you know, the span of the 20 years or so that we've had these guys been on national spotlight and where their careers have gone. But they all end up in the same place, the Hall of Fame. We'll talk about the Portland Trailblazers next as they have quietly moved into the third seed in the West. I know two weeks ago we were talking about the New Orleans Pelicans. They had won like nine in a row and had got all the way up to the fourth spot. But then they kind of fell back down to earth recently. But Portland was also hot at that same time, and they've continued their streak. So now, Dwayne, I want to bring you back in. Portland, three seed, things hold serve with the way that the Warriors are going through these. You know, they've got injuries, and Steph's hurt, and Katie's just coming back, and Clay Thompson's got a you know return from a, a broken thumb. Could Portland upset all the plans and beat the Warriors if it came down to those two teams in the Western Conference semifinals? Um, health pending. If they're not healthy enough, I think they give them a good seven-game series, and I think Golden State will finally get it. I think Golden State pulls it off. Uh, the key would be uh, Portland having to figure out how to win in Oakland um, because, I mean, it's already tough to win in Oakland as it is, but to win in Oakland in the playoffs is going to be a very monumental task for a team like Portland. But I, I don't even say it's quiet. I think Portland's been – a very consistent team all season long. They haven't uh, they haven't had any really major bad stretches. Uh, Dame Lillard is playing lights out. CJ McCollum, and they have a lot of guys who know how to uh, score, get the ball moving, and and uh, when it is Lillard time, Lillard is always on and. But for Portland to be up in the third spot, uh, I mean, the West is so close and jumbled anyway. It doesn't surprise me that they're up here as well as they played. But uh, there's still a lot of basketball left. And still, they haven't even officially – I think they've officially clinched. But they we don't know if they're going to be the third seed or the eighth seed. <laughs> yeah, seeding yet to be determined in the West. Uh, we'll break right into that. As we were talking about, it's really jumbled, and especially at the bottom, as we have Minnesota, New Orleans, Denver, and the Clippers all in contention for the last two spots in the West. Uh, like we said uh, two weeks ago, we thought New Orleans was going to definitely make it. Now they're fighting to stay in it. Minnesota is also fighting to stay in it as uh, I think a half game separates them and, and New Orleans. And then you've got Denver, who's been really playing good here the second half of the season. Um, you know, they've been a scrappy team. Um, you know, they've had some, you know, really good wins, really good stretch of basketball. And then the Clippers, surprisingly, after they traded Blake Griffin and kind of overhauled their team, they've got a chance to make it into the eighth spot. So if you had to handicap it right now, I know we still got uh, 12 more days into the playoff start. Uh, everybody has around seven games to play, which two teams would you think are going to be in good shape to secure the last two playoff spots in the West? I would say Minnesota and Denver. Um, for some reason, I just don't trust the Pelicans. Uh, I mean, I love Anthony Davis. I love what he's done all season. But the Nuggets are playing some pretty good basketball. I think they're the hottest team out of all of them. 
And uh, don't even get me wrong. I mean, you got not only Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota's a half game behind Utah. And they're literally a game and a half behind San Antonio. So 4-10 through 10 is really, really separated by four games. So uh, we can't even we talk about the last two spots, but we got to talk about four, five, and six because there's not that much separation there either. And I think, though, if we do talk about the last two spots, I say Minnesota, Denver, and New Orleans, and the Clippers are out. Okay. It'd be fun to see uh, Denver get in there. Uh, you know, they haven't been in a while. You know, I always like to see new blood get into the playoffs. It always spices it up, even if they, you know, make a first-round exit. You know, you know they'll at least give their home uh, crowd a, a chance to see some playoff basketball, and they'll be excited, and, you know, they can maybe steal a game and extend it out longer than you think. So, you know, hopefully Denver does make it in there. But, of course, you know, the, Cl- the Pelicans really need to make the playoffs because Anthony Davis is such a good player, and the country really needs needs to be able to, you know, sit down and watch four or five, six games of him really, you know, shine on a marquee level where they can gain that appreciation for him that I don't think a lot of people outside of New Orleans really truly have. So it'll be interesting. So keep an eye on the playoff race coming down the stretch here. And then our last bit of NBA news is the Warriors again. So for another injury this time to back up swing man Patrick McCall as he suffered a lumbar spinal contusion after he got undercut inadvertently by Vince Carter uh, when they played Sacramento over the weekend. A very, very, very scary uh, uh, situation. Uh, He had to get carted off the uh, court on a stretcher. Um, A lot of people were fearing that, you know, the worst, like he may have a broken back. Um, You know, just a lot of speculation. But luckily, you know, for Patrick McCall, you know, that wasn't the case. Just had a really bad uh, bruise on his on his back and his spine. So um, just talk about the incident, uh, Dwayne. Uh, you know, when you first saw it, uh, you know, of course, Vince Carter didn't mean to do it. It just kind of looked like McCall looked like he was going to go up to tap the boards and he saw Vince coming and Vince realized he wasn't going to be able to get there in time. So he stopped and McCall adjusted and it just clipped his heels and down he went. It was a very scary fall. Uh, we know Vince Carter uh, didn't mean to do anything. I think Steve Kerr's initial reaction, he thought it was an undercut, but I think knowing that, uh, knowing the guy Vince is, he knew that um, it was inadvertent because he, um, he did give a word of encouragement because Vince felt horrible about it. And, and uh, even Patrick McCall said that he knew Vince didn't mean to do that. So uh, it, I was just very glad that um, he's okay. He's um, he's in good spirits. He, I mean, maybe sore, but he's in good spirits. Uh, thankful that it's nothing, um, nothing to the point where it's uh, career threatening or anything of that sort. So, um, it's just one of those basketball bang bang plays, and and it was a very awkward fall. And but fortunately, he's okay, and and. Um, We'll see if he can make it back for the playoffs. 
Right. Yeah. Like we said, you know, this is the one thing the Warriors haven't really had to deal with in this great stretch of basketball they've had the last four years is, you know, just the extended amount of injuries and injuries to key guys, you know, coming into the playoffs. You know, Steph got injured in the playoffs a couple of years ago when they lost to Cleveland. And, uh, you know, we came back and he's probably about, you know, 80 percent or so. And the longer the playoffs went, you know, the you could tell, you know, he wasn't quite right. But, um, you know, Durant had his injury last Last year, but that was a blessing in disguise because it kind of got Curry's mojo back, gave KD some rest, and he was, you know, the freshest man out there in the playoffs, and he just, you know, wrecked shop against Cleveland in the finals. Um, but this year, you know, they've got so many guys injured, and now they're getting, you know, their bench players injured and guys who've been kind of playing a lot more minutes and get more experience, valuable experience, I think, uh, with the injuries to their main guys. But, yeah, this is another guy that, you know, provides outside shooting, provides defense that, you know, they're definitely going to need in the playoffs. So hopefully he can get back and, and uh, you know, contribute in uh, some form or shape or fashion before it's all said and done for the Warriors. So, Dwayne, at this time, I'm going to open it up to you for your final thoughts, shout outs and thank yous. All right. Uh, final thoughts, shout outs to everybody listening. Thank you. Um, I just want to shout out my co-hosts as well, Jesse and Nubias. Uh, I also want to shout out everybody at CSPN. Great shows that are going on right now. And so my final thought has to be the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, you know, we want to talk about teams that are quietly moving places. The Sixers are a half a game behind the Cavaliers for the third spot in the East. And a half a game ahead of the Pacers uh, for home court. And the East is pretty tight. The field's almost set for the most part. Um, Miami and Milwaukee are trying to make make sure they clinch uh, within the next couple games. Or with the Pistons lost, the East field will be set. Uh, just the shuffling of the seedings will be in play. But the Sixers, though, they've won 10 straight. They have been playing really good basketball. And... A lot of this is without Joel Embiid, who had an orbital fracture, and um, they they may do some damage in the first round, and maybe in the second round if they play Toronto. But um, with the way Philadelphia has been rolling with these championships, um, a lot of people are eyeing the Sixers and maybe even the Flyers too for another title. Yeah, they, the Philly would become the new Boston. They would just become obnoxious if they won that much so soon. So hopefully, you know, we can kind of stave off some of this winning that they're going through right now. Um, for my final thoughts and shout outs, I'd like to give a shout out to everybody. Like you said, Dwayne here on CSPN. I'd like to give a shout out to you joining me this evening. Give a shout out to Jesse and Tobias, our other two co-hosts. Um, I'd like to give a shout out also to the people who are excited about the masters. Cause my final thought is going to be about golf this week. Uh, the masters are coming in. It's the greatest golf tournament in the world. And, Tiger Woods looks like his game is in contention. Uh, there are some rumors that he eagled the two par fives on the back nine in his practice rounds. So, you know, with the way that he finished his last two tournaments um, and the way that his body has held up so far early this early golf season, everybody's really excited about seeing Tiger uh, come into Augusta with his, you know, best chance to win and probably the last, you know, seven, eight times he's been there. And, uh, you know, if you can just get to the Saturday and be on the first part of the leaderboard 
And, you know, being contention on Sunday, you know, it's going to be ratings. It's going to be, you know, social media. And hopefully it'll be history because I'd love to see Tiger Woods pull it off one more time, start the echoes and, and, and put on that green jacket and just remind everybody that, you know, he's still probably the one guy that can get everybody around the TV. You know, I don't know if LeBron has the drawing power that Tiger has, if Tiger's really got it going on and people think he can really do something. So hopefully Tiger Woods will be, you know, having everybody tuned in to him on Sunday and, uh, you know, putting on another green jacket. So that'd be a great comeback story for him. Dwayne, anything else you want to add, man? No, I'm good. I think, I think I am. I'm good. It's been another great episode. Thank you once again. And, yeah, everything, everything's good here. All right. So for the labor icon, Dwayne, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.